0: Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get going. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We surrender to you and all that you have done for us. Thank you for providing strength when we're down. And Lord, in the valleys of life that you're there just to pull us up in amazing ways that only you can do that. And Lord, thank you so much for another day of life. Thank you for the weather, Lord, this morning that is a reminder of the power of your creation. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Uh, by the way, how many of you love the weather coming in this morning? Anyone else? Yeah, good. So I'm pretty bored this morning. But anyway, I, I got to be honest, what, we were tempted, other than Jason, I think would have killed me to just say, pick your chairs up and go outside. Uh, but I'm just telling you, I think it's it's amazing how God uh, reminds us through his creation that he's in control. Matter of fact, a work is called into a very difficult subject this morning, and a whole series for the next few weeks called... Is called Wilderness, and it's taking these individuals in the Scripture that deal with the wilderness time in their life, and what are the life lessons that we can get. This uh, Sunday, we're going to get into the life of Elijah, so you can take your Bibles and turn over to the Old Testament book of First Kings chapter 19, and we're going to get into his wilderness experience. John Muir is uh, one of my historical heroes. And uh, those of you that are really in the nature, you probably recognize the name John Muir. Uh, John Muir was obsessed with getting people into God's creation. And he was so obsessed and he was so inspirational that Teddy Roosevelt went out to Yosemite and hung out with him for days. And they said they had these just, just timeless, amazing conversations. And Teddy Roosevelt was so inspired that when he came back, he started moving towards legislature to make sure that we preserve these large sections of land so that men and women and families would always have a place to go. I guarantee some of you have been a part of this, and it's the national parks. If you've been to a national park, thank Teddy Roosevelt and John Muir. But I want you to listen to the words of John Muir and what he said about wilderness. Thousands of tired, nerve-shaking over-civilized people are beginning to find out that going to the mountains is going home, that wilderness is a necessity. I believe that's absolutely true. Think of the times in your life when you've been just stressed out and you've poured yourself into God's creation and you realize that you're not that big and sometimes even the stress is not that big and God is bigger. That's what I love about God's creation. And honestly, aren't we pretty spoiled where we live? I mean, it's easy to say, I wish I lived where there were mountains and an ocean. But I'll tell you, southern Indiana is pretty sweet. You ever been to Chicago? Count your blessings, okay? This is a great place to live. This morning, we're going to get into the Old Testament Elijah. And this is an amazing guy. You talk about a powerful guy who trusted God with every area of his life. If you look through scriptures and you started in 1 Kings 13 and you went through 2 Kings chapter 2, you'd see stories like this. Elijah is is starving and God feeds him with ravens. Another time that Elijah predicts and then prophesied a long drought, and that happened. Another time where Elijah actually came across a widow whose son had just died and he raised that little boy from the dead. And then ultimately, when he stood up, against 450, mono against 450, and he stood up, and in God's name, he defeated 450 prophets of Baal, and he didn't just defeat them, I mean, he slaughtered them, it was like right out of Braveheart, it was a, an, an epic scene, so that's this guy, Elijah, and then what I love the most is right after, and they were seated, the 450 prophets of Baal, it said he climbed Mount A mountain and there was such an adrenaline rush and he cried out for thunder and rain and it began to rain and he ran eight miles came off the mountain eight miles in the rain to get to where the king and his wife would hear you're no longer in charge it's all about God now that is a guy I want a cup of coffee with when I get to heaven this is a guy that I want to look up but I got to tell you he teaches us some things And one big one is, and I guarantee everybody here has gone through this, when you reach an emotional high, whether it's a a depression emotional high or you reach uh, uh, just off the charts something great in your life, emotional high, what usually follows that emotional high? Man, you really fall into the doldrums. It's very common. You just feel wiped out. I've heard it time and time again. You'll have young people and adults, and they'll come back from a mission trip. I shared this first service. I remember my son, Caleb, the first time he ever left the country, he went on the missions trip to the Dominican Republic, and it was the year that they just completed the Indianapolis airport. And so he had seen extreme poverty. And I remember him on that, remember that escalator at the Indianapolis airport and he got all the lights? And he was mad. He's like, I can't believe we're dropping millions of dollars so people can get their jollies out of watching these stupid lights because of all, and it was hitting him. I just saw something that I... I never thought I would see before. Why don't we do something about it? Well, that's what happens when you come off of the adrenaline of emotion. Many of you have been on the walk to a maze, and you know how difficult it is to be so closely connected spiritually, and then you go right into the real world. For some of you, it's those nights and nights of sleeping in the waiting room of a hospital, and you're just exhausted. It's at those times that we go through some tough times. I'm going to share with you a month. And I want you to tell me what you think about this month. January. Just give me one word. Now, remember, you're in church. okay? So give me some one word descriptions of January. Anyone? Cold. Anything else? Snow. Anything else? Not. We had a luau. Good job. How many of you here love January? Raise your hand. We had a few nut jobs first service, too. that love that. And I said, those are the folks that go to Florida. We know that. Okay. For most people... What makes January dreary is because there's this darkness that comes over and there's just this, this, this feeling of oh, this letdown. And emotionally, we can go through our own Januaries. This morning, we're going to look at Elijah and two critical decisions that he had to make, two critical decisions that all of us have to make. Turn with me in the first Kings chapter 19. Let me read verses 1 through 3. Now, Ahab told Jezebel, Jezebel, if you don't know who that is, you do not want to take her to the senior prom, okay? (laughs) Everything that Elijah had done, now that he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, she put a contract out on Elijah's life. And she's saying within 24 hours, you are a dead man. Okay? He was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. He's in depression. Dr. Edward Ziegler said this, Depression is the common cold of the psychological disorders. 26% of all Americans suffer from deep depression or from some type of mental illness. It's very real. Depression is real. Anxiety is real. So I think it's important to step back and say, what is it that caused depression in his life? Now, first of all, fear. Fear. And you say, what could he possibly fear? Now, remember, this is the guy that raised a child from the dead, who defeated 450 prophets of Baal, who climbed a mountain, raised his hands, drew thunder and rain and ran eight miles in the rain, what would possibly cause fear in his life? And the answer is, one angry woman. Can I have an amen? Yeah, don't, cannot we, I think we can, matter of fact, finish this sentence. If mama ain't happy, what? Nobody's happy. And on the way out, I had somebody come out and say, and when grandma's not happy, run. I like that, I like that. We all can relate to, Sometimes we can overcome huge obstacles in life, but all it takes is one individual and one thought, and fear can creep in. I guarantee this morning some of you are battling fear in your life. Maybe it's fear of job security, fear of financial stability, fear of your kids' bad choices, fear of past failures or the future. It's interesting that over 360 times in Scripture you find these words, fear not. It's God's constant reminder that don't let those thoughts of fear start creeping in because once you start those thoughts of fear, it just leads you to a place you don't want to go. The second thing is fatigue. He was physically exhausted. Matter of fact, you'll notice in that text, you know the very first thing you did, God's like, you just need to sleep. I heard somebody say sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is take a nap. Can I have an amen? How many of you love Sunday afternoon naps? Am I the only? Oh, Good. I'm not the only sinner. I love, I mean, I love, Tracy Fox and I, we exchange that every week. We should say, aren't we blessed to have wives? We're like, how great was your nap? It was great. Mine too. You know I mean? We just love naps. Now here's why. God knows he's built within us rest. Isn't it interesting with the Israelites, you have this nation that they finally had their freedom and God laid down 10 guideposts, 10 foundational laws to live your life. And of all the laws, isn't it interesting that one of them was what? The Sabbath. In other words, he built us to rest. And when we keep going and keep going, and we never rest, and we have fatigue, Vince Lombardi said this, fatigue makes cowards of us all. But ultimately, what did he do that caused depression? Look at verse 3. Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah... Now, highlight this. He left his servant there. You see, when we're battling depression, the worst thing we can do is walk away from people. I want to share with you briefly the difference between solitude and isolation. There really is a huge difference. There's a great book that I highly recommend. I guarantee you can probably get it on Amazon for under a dollar now, and it's called um, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. It deals with 10 disciplines. But I want you to read what Foster said about solitude. Solitude is more a state of mind and heart than it is a place. So many people are like, oh, when I can get through this stretch at work, I'm going to go on vacation. How many of you have ever needed a vacation from vacation? Okay. What we need instead is every day seek God in solitude. In other words, every day tenaciously get away from the noise so that you, in stillness. I love the text, be still and know that I'm God. Would you repeat that? Be still and know that I'm God. How hard is that for you? Can I just be honest with you? You've probably figured this out. I actually take a little medication for this. My kids will even say, Dad, you should take your pill today, okay? I battle ADD, okay? If you don't like that, I don't care. But anyway, I battle ADD, and it's, and it's I'm, I, my thoughts are just... Uh, my daughter's embarrassed sometimes. She's like, Dad, seriously, where most human beings have five or six creative thoughts, you have pages of them. Like, seriously, you got to focus more. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Who is You talking? You know, I mean, I, I can get lost that quick. But i got to tell you, if you're wired that you're always on the go, you need to realize how critical it is to seek out solitude and to begin to lean in and listen to God. Solitude is critical in our lives. But there's a difference between solitude and isolation. See, isolation is loneliness. It's when you need people the most and you seek to be alone. Or maybe you're even forced to be alone. God built us for community. He built us for community. In World War II, the Nazis mastered a torture technique. And they feel, historically, that it was the most significant torture technique. You might want to guess what it was. Solitary confinement. They've realized over the years that when we pull away and we isolate ourselves, it's just not good. Genesis 2 says what? It is not good for man to be alone. We all need community. But Elijah had another decision that was critical. He had to decide not to give up. Look at verses 4 through 6. And while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree. He sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he laid under the tree, and he fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there was by his head a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate, and then he laid down again. Did you notice right there, his thoughts led him to this thought, Lord, I want to die. I've done some research, and uh, it's one of the saddest statistics uh, out there. And I thought it's interesting that every Sunday we worship here at the AMVET, somewhere between 22 and 26 veterans commit suicide every day. Depression is real. I stood actually right here. And I had a funeral for a, a gentleman who commits suicide. And uh, my goal, just to let you know my heart, is that we'll find ways for us as a church body to help veterans that are dealing with depression. I think God's put us here for a reason. But we all, I, I can tell you straight up, being in ministry all these years, and Don, I know you would agree, um, I don't know a family that hasn't been affected in their lives by cancer, or suicide. I can't tell you how many homes I've sat in, how many families that have dealt with this. And the church needs to be open about the fact that this is reality. I mean, this is where life gets tough. And it's the church's responsibility to do whatever it can to reach those that are just battling this battle of depression. You may remember a few years ago, Uh, It made national news, and it was just heart-wrenching. Rick and uh, his wife Kay Warren had a son who committed suicide named Matthew, 2013. I want you to listen to their words. Kay Warren said this, We're not the same people. The Rick and Kay who were alive on April 4th, 2013, are not the same people that exist since April 5th, 2013. And some of that changes Uh, And the things that have happened have shattered and broken and crushed our hearts, but those changes are reality. And then I want you to listen to the words of Rick Warren in an interview, and here's what he said. We used to think that AIDS was the last taboo that people didn't want to talk about, but now I really think it's mental illness is the last taboo. It's the one thing that nobody wants to talk about, but if my stomach doesn't work, I take a pill for it, and there's no shame. If my liver doesn't work, it's no shame. But if my brain doesn't, and I take a pill, why am I supposed to hide that and be ashamed of it? It's just another organ. And then I love what he said. Your illness is not your identity. Your character is not your chemistry. It's just time that we get real about what we're dealing with. And 26% of the people, think about that, are dealing with some type of mental illness, or some type of depression. And I agree with the Warrens. It's time that the church talks more openly about it. I'll be honest, in the last few years, I'm encouraged that more and more people are open about their anxieties and the stresses that they're under so that they can be surrounded by friends because that's what the church is all about. I heard about a doctor. His name was Dr. Tuttle from Milwaukee. And he said there was a turning point in his life when he was in third grade, nine years old. He said it had never happened, but he wet himself. And he said, I'm sitting at his desk. And he said, all of a sudden, there was a little puddle. And he said, I didn't go to church a lot, but I prayed, God, do something. I mean, he just needed help. He said, and all of a sudden, the teacher stood up and started walking towards him. He thought, God, that's not what I wanted, you know. And then a little, you can imagine a little nine-year-old's mind like, now everybody's gonna know, and they're gonna make fun of me for the rest of my. I mean, he says all these ideas are spinning. He said then there's this little girl named Susie, and she had this little fish bowl full of uh, goldfish and all this water, and she trips, and it spills all over me, and now my prayer is, thank you Jesus. You know, all the kids are like. I can't believe that girl spilt that all over you. And they're laughing at her. And then the teacher pulls him out. And he acts like, oh, I can't believe you, Susie. You know, and he walks out smiling. The teacher can't believe he's happy. And anyway, she cleans him up and goes back. And now guess what's happened? Well, they're making fun of this little girl. Like, how could you spill it? How dumb are you? And then this went on and on. And he joined in. He's like, yeah, Susie, what is your problem? They went. This went on for the rest of school day. So then he gets on the bus They both get off at the same bus stop. They're standing there. And he looked at little Susie and he said, you did that on purpose, didn't you? And she said, you know, I wet myself one time. That's the kind of friends we all need. And you know what I love? I love the fact with Elijah's depression, do you know how God pulled him out of that funk? He said, Elijah, I want you to invest in a young man. His name's Elisha, and I want you to take your friendship, and I want you to give it to him. You see, when we're going through the hard times, do you know what God does many times? He gives us somebody to help, even though we're suffering. He said, I've got somebody that you can help, and I can't tell you in my life how many times I'll go through a doldrum, and I'm saying, God, I can't take this anymore, and I hear God say, yeah, I know that, but I really need you to make this phone call. I really need you to make that visit. You know why? Because somebody out there is really hurting right now. That's what God calls us to do. Not to just need friends. We all need friends. God says, I need you to be a friend. Now, I want to share something with you. And I, I'm not going to cry, okay? I, I, I lied first service. But I'm going to do the best I can on this one. So uh, this last month, uh, our family has been through an emotional uh, hurricane. It's just been crazy. I can't thank you all enough for what you've done for us. Uh, your prayers, uh, your acts of love uh, mean more than, you, you have no idea what it. <laughs> I hate that, okay, what, what it means for our family. And I wish, I wish I could do more than just say thank you, but um, thank you for being a friend when we needed you most. And if you want to give me money, go ahead. I don't care. Okay. (laughs) Now, in just a moment, we're going to take communion. But I I want to tell you what I love, uh, if you're visiting, what I love about uh, taking communion on Sundays. And it's in this same text. Uh, In 1 Kings 19, it says that Elijah's crying out to God And as he's crying out to God, it said there was this earthquake and the mountains crumble and God wasn't there. And then, you know what I love? It says, and then he leaned in and he heard the whisper of God. Isn't that awesome? He could hear the whisper of God. I thought, you know, that's communion. Our worlds are hectic and our worlds are crazy. But for a few fleeting moments, we come to a table and we listen for the whisper. We just hear God say, I love you, and you're not perfect, but that's why I sent my son. We break the bread, and we drink the juice, and we can listen to the whisper, and that's awesome.